If you uh, have your Bible with you, I invite you to start finding 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 11. Fear not, the words will be up on the screen, and you can access them in the Bible app today as well. Before we get too far into that text, I wanted to share a moment with you from my past. When I was younger, maybe 6th or 7th grade, I went to camp. I think it was summer camp. It was probably like a part of our confirmation program at church. The details, as you can tell, are a little bit fuzzy, but I can still see clearly in my mind's eye the view into the ravine. One of the afternoon activities at camp was taking a quiet time with God. To my junior high mind, this did not seem like a useful activity. It was not a good part of the day. Plus, why would God want to spend more time with me? And if we were just going to be silent, I could think of at least three other things we could do with this time. Needless to say, my junior high me was unimpressed. I was not excited about this activity. I don't remember the verse that Pastor Kelly had us study. I do remember that it wasn't enough to just bring our Bibles, but we had to look it up. Does this sound familiar? We also had to have something to write with and something to write on. And my least favorite part, we would be required to be silent for 45 minutes. I know, see, you, you know already, that is not something I'm good at. 45 minutes. I do not like being silent. I am not good at being silent. This was not looking like a good use of my afternoon. PK gave us some instructions about what to do with our quiet time. He read the passage, did a little devotion, and then sent us out. We had to go alone, and we had to be silent. I remembered the trees smelled like vanilla after it rained and it had rained the night before. The ground was a little damp, so all of our footsteps were muffled as we spread out. There were no crunching pine cones. Everything was muted. I found a place to sit on a dry rock with a view out over the ravine. And as I settled in, I remembered thinking it was like the whole earth was conspiring against me to make things extra quiet. I was not impressed. Once I settled and I lifted my eyes, in that moment, everything stopped. It was beautiful. For a girl who grew up in the suburbs who didn't like dirt or being outside or nature in general or silence, in that moment, everything made sense the rush of the world, and even as a teenager, I was an overachiever. All of that settled. Worries about the future, frustrations from the past, all the stuff was suddenly silenced. I sat still in the presence of God. It's hard to explain the depth of that moment. 
It was like finally coming home. I sat there for 45 minutes, perfectly silent. It felt like no time had passed at all. It was my mountaintop moment. Maybe you had to be there. It's hard to explain exactly what it was like. Have you ever had a moment like that? One where things shifted for you a bit, where things changed. It's hard to explain it to someone else, to, to help them understand. And you struggle and stumble and flail around trying to paint the picture right so that they could see what you saw. And after all of that, when you've tried your best, sometimes we're just left with that phrase, right? Well, I guess you had to be there. Sometimes I think of that when I'm trying to explain an event from the Bible. Like today, as we gather around the edges of our first century sister church, as we stand alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and listen to Paul's teaching, we find ourselves in a moment where, again, Paul is reaching back through the generations, striving to bring clarity to this community of faith, trying to explain it right, to get them to see and feel that moment, that moment in God's presence. Today we find Paul dealing with some of the worship practices that the church in Corinth was observing. The church was holding to a historic pattern that had been passed on to them from Paul. The community of faith gathered, they prayed together, they shared words of wisdom and teachings from God, and they celebrated communion together, or as they would have called it, the Lord's Supper. Does it sound familiar? That worship pattern, right? We, we observe that same one today. And right now, all over the city of Elkhorn and all over Walworth County, right, churches are gathering with a very similar worship pattern. We study the word together, we pray, we sing, and we study. It's similar also to the regular weekly worship pattern of our ancient ancestors, the people of Israel. So if the church in Corinth was doing what they had always done, what Paul had told them to do, this must be a good thing, right? Yeah, some of you already know, and you're thinking, I've not heard Paul say very many good things yet. Well, let's give him a chance. We're going to read today and see what Paul says. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 17. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to follow along there or in the app. Or on the screen, Paul writes, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Oh, man. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some go ahead with their own private meals. And as a result, one person goes hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. Bummer. I had high hopes that the Corinthians had done something right, something praiseworthy, something honorable. They're keeping the traditions. They were having communion. But Paul sees that the gathered community is missing the mark. We've seen this before with Paul, right? For Paul, motivation matters. It's not enough to just do something. How you're thinking about it, what's going on, makes a difference. So when the church of Corinth gathered, they did a great job in keeping the historic traditions by celebrating the Lord's Supper. But how they were going about it obscured the true purpose of the meal. So they might be keeping the tradition, but Paul finds that they are humiliating the poor, horrible hosts, and have terrible table manners. This is not a good recommendation. You would not go to this restaurant. So what's going on in the church in Corinth? The community of faith would come together at someone's home. Unlike today, they did not have churches to meet, and they would meet in someone's home. And just like in many of our homes, where we eat is not some huge dining hall, but it's a space that's like set for a table for the family to eat around. And just like in many of our homes, it would fit just about that many people, usually 9 to 12 at the most. And so if you were hosting the worship that week, you would set the dining room. And just as in our homes, when we host a group of people, right, then you set up the living room. And maybe there's a couch shoved away in the garage and tray tables out there, right? And you, you set it up however you can to get the most people in. This was 4th of July at my Aunt Mary Lou's house. There was food everywhere. There were people everywhere, chairs and children running. It was a mess. And it was amazing. And we knew that no matter when we showed up, that we were always going to be well-fed and well-loved. I'm sure the worship gathering in the Church of Corinth started out in a similar fashion. New believers so excited to be a part of the body of Christ. They didn't care where they sat or what they ate. They'd squeeze into every available space simply to be a part of the event. They were there to celebrate their citizenship in this new community of faith. They were there to hear again of how they were family, no matter where they came from and what their occupation was. If they were Jews or Greeks, if they used to worship idols or they worshipped at the Hebrew temple, none of that mattered now. Because they were one in Christ. Maybe we had to be there. But I think, I bet we could imagine. We could imagine the excitement of being together, the newness of that community. 
But as time went on, this community of believers who were all one in Christ started to warp into something else. The wealthy started arriving early to get a good seat in the dining room. In their impatience and excitement to be together, they would start eating before everyone arrived. And those who came later were often the working classes and the poor. With the dining room full, they would have to sit in the outer rooms and in the courtyard, wherever there was a place. But arriving late often meant that they missed most of the meal. Now, that might not seem like a big deal at face value. If, if you get there late, sometimes you miss the good jello salad and the deviled eggs. That's just what happens, right? But this, this wasn't any potluck. This was the Lord's Supper. They would begin with sharing of the bread and end with the final cup of wine. This meal was communion. And rather than waiting for everyone to be at the table so they could have this moment together, some rushed ahead and some were left out. In the midst of this meal, the people of Corinth were not simply having a meal. They were standing on the foot, in the footsteps of the disciples who had gathered with Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. And the disciples and Jesus were not simply gathering for a dinner together. They were celebrating the Passover meal, a meal given to the people of Israel in the ancient days. And guidance for this ancient meal is recorded for us in the book of Exodus. Here's this little part of it. Moses wrote, On that day, tell your children this. I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord will always be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. These same words guided Jesus and the disciples as they gathered to celebrate the mighty work of, of God. They gathered to become a part of that event again. This is how God answers the I guess you had to be there moment. God set up the Passover as a lasting ordinance, a yearly event where the people of God would not simply go through the motions or hear the story again. They would remember it, not simply in their own minds, they would gather as a whole community of faith and remember. They would become a part of the event again. In this way, these events were passed on through each generation, from the eldest to the youngest, so that each generation, in every household of faith, each of the people of Israel had a first-hand account in their lives. In celebrating the Passover feast, they too proclaimed that God had chosen them 
not just their ancestors, them. They proclaimed that God had saved them and given them new life. When the disciples gathered with Jesus, they became a part of this meal again. Standing in the footsteps of the people of Israel, they remembered God's mighty act of freedom and deliverance. And then God did a new thing. In the midst of the Passover meal, just as the disciples were enveloped in the past of that event, Jesus spoke words that opened up a future for them. This is the moment that Paul asked the people of Corinth to remember. This moment when Jesus spoke to the disciples at the Passover table. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you. Oh, I got, I, see, I went into communion. We'll do that in a second. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul pulls them back to that moment and asks them to remember, to become a part of this meal again. Paul invites them to set their eyes on the host who has invited them to the table. Paul wants them to see that Jesus is present in this meal. And because Jesus is the host, they should indeed celebrate. This is a joyous occasion. Just as the Passover meal has always been, the Lord's Supper is a cause for rejoicing. Because in this meal, we hear about who we are. We hear the invitation to come, to spend time, to be still in the presence of God. Jesus says to his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. For wherever you are, for whatever you've done, for you, this is a cause for rejoicing. This is a reason to celebrate that God would trade, that God would trade all of our mess for his grace and love and new life. That's amazing and humbling. What about the ones who come late? Because this was Paul's issue, right? He was frustrated that the ones who came late, they did not get to have the meal. Do you think God wants to trade them? The ones who are late? All of their hardship and sadness for his grace and love and new life? Yep. Here's the one, um, honestly, that I struggle with. What about the ones, you know, maybe they're not late, but you just don't like them. Do they get the same deal? Yep. 
they get the same deal. They've been invited to the table. And the table is set not by you and I, not with our own agendas, but is set by Christ. In this meal, God comes and he says, for the ones who are overwhelmed and kind of done with it, come. For the ones who are angry, maybe with their neighbor, maybe with the Lord, he says, come. To the ones who, who can't see past this moment because it's just too much, to the ones who are mourning, to the ones who are frustrated and done with all of the things in their world, to the ones who are overjoyed and their days have been fabulous, God says, come. To the ones who are filled with sorrow, to the ones who have done wrong, God says again and again, come. A table has been set where you are invited. You are the honored guest. You're not an extra. You're not late. This table is for you. Have you ever gone through a bunch of fuss and invited someone over and, and you just never get to the table, not because you're having a great time spending time together, but because there's just too much? I kind of feel like, like that sometimes. Sometimes it feels like life's a Jenga tower and we're carrying it around mid-game trying to move the pieces and keep it balanced and not have anything fall around our feet. And at the same time, we're also trying to like make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. It's a moving target and a balancing act, and it can be exhausting. Sometimes church feels a little bit like that, too. This is a place where we're supposed to come and be renewed and restored, reminded and refreshed for the week ahead. And many days, it is just that. But maybe sometimes it's not. We're carrying around a tower of moving parts while we're also trying to serve or teach or lead. The Corinthians seem to miss the mark. Everything for them was a party, and they lost sight of the community that was gathering. Maybe we miss the mark in other ways. Everything seems to be an agenda or a cause or a project, and the world gets loud fast, and we miss the invitation. Maybe there's just so much stuff that it's easier to put our heads down and push through than to stop and risk it all falling down around our feet. There are times, times we need to push through, but not at the expense of the invitation to come. Not at the expense of sitting at the table with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So today I invite you to take a moment to stop and remember where you came from. We are a people marked by God's history. 
We are members of the crowd that God led out of Egypt through the Red Sea and to the promised land. We are disciples gathered at the table, hearing Jesus speak those words as God stretched that historic promise into eternity through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are a people who are marked by God's moments. It's what defines us. It's who we are. And in this meal, God calls us back from the warp of the world, where we might lose sight of the cross, where we may grow weary of loving our neighbors, where we pick up burdens that are not ours to carry. And God calls us back and calls us by name, reminds us that we are his children, first and always. Today, as we gather at the table again, I invite you to let this be one of those moments where you settle in and lift up your face. Where you recognize that you are in the presence of God. If you're watching this online, I know the temptation to do other things at the same time. But I want to invite you Maybe you need to pause and come back later, finish up what you're doing. But I invite you to take a moment and stop. Find some space. Maybe you're here in person and your mind is racing. Usually at this point in the service for me, I'm starting to think about the rest of my Sunday. Right? Are we going to lunch? Are we shopping at home? Right? Do I need to go grocery shopping? Did I order the stuff from Target? Like, and that, that race is through your mind as you plan the rest of the day. This is a moment to stop. I invite you to come, to set down all of the other things to let the warp of the world rest outside. And wherever you're at, whatever you've got going on, whatever you came in with, carrying, clinging to, whatever it was, that this is your moment to pause. To know that this table has been set for you. That God calls you by name. That you are a member of that event, marked by his history, renewed and refreshed and sent out again into his world. So in a moment, we will gather, as is our custom, around the table. And we will taste and see what God has set out for us today. Will you pray with me as we prepare our hearts? Gracious God, it seems sometimes like whether it's joy or frustration that there's just so much. So I pray in the midst of this moment that you would silence the world, 
that you would give us a well-needed break. And that even if the world rings loud in our ears, that over the sound of the world, we might hear your voice. Your voice calling us back. Your voice speaking our name. Your voice reminding us of what is already done. That we are forgiven. That you are our God. And we are loved into life. Lord, as we prepare for this meal, I do pray that you would do a work in us. Prepare our hearts and our minds, our hands, for what you have for us this day. In your name we pray. Amen.